0: Give it up for Jesus. I get, I get, I consider this just an absolute honor to be able to stand up here on this day and to be able to present the word to you. Um, This house is a house of faith. It is a house of faith. And what I want to do today is I want to honor the fact that it's a house of faith. And we're going to preach about what it means to be a house of faith. And there's, I don't think it's by accident or coincidence that last week, uh, Pastor Kylan started us off in a little mini-series on what is the church. And he talked about the church, the authority of the church is Jesus. And because Jesus is the authority, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to keep going forward, but we're going to go in a legacy, a legacy that says we're going to live by faith. And so we're going to talk about faith today. Pastor Kylan, in his message, he gave us this definition of the church. He said, the church is the baptized community around the world learning to live the Jesus way together. My question for us today is how do we become this baptized community around the world learning to live the Jesus way? Well, it's through faith. That's how we enter into this community is through faith. So what is faith? I want to just try to simplify this real easy for us. What is faith? The Bible says, by the way, in Romans 1:17, the righteous will live by faith. That's how we move forward. Faith means that we trust and believe in something so strongly that it changes the way that we live. That we believe in something so strongly that it changes the way that we live. Faith leads to action. Here's our working definition for this morning. Faith is obedient response to Jesus. I'm going to show you how this church is built on faith. You're going to have to hang out with me. But faith is obedient response to Jesus. In James chapter 2 verses 14 through 19, James, one of Jesus's brothers, by the way, he said, what is it, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, this is James 2, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. And he says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then he says something shocking. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What is James trying to say to us? That we cannot claim to have a real faith in Jesus Christ if there's no transformation of our lives. If my life isn't different because of Jesus, then I don't really believe in Jesus. James says that kind of faith is a dead faith. It's not good for anything. James goes so far to say this. If that's what your faith looks like, you look just like the demons do. He was the brother of Jesus. He could say what he wanted to. I'm just telling you what said. he said literally if you just claim to believe but your belief doesn't move you to action you're just like the demons cuz they believe that's right. That's right. This house is built on faith What am I saying this house is built on obedient response to Jesus And if you're in the faith it's because you have obediently responded to Jesus that's our heritage that is our legacy In James 1.22, James says this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. You do what it says. Because anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But he says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Last week, Pastor Kylan, I think, did a wonderful job of showing us that we don't own Jesus. The American church is a minority in the global Christian community. He did a great job of showing us that as a local body, as a local church, we are part of something much bigger than just us as individuals. We're part of something bigger than our local gathering. We're actually part of something bigger than just our generation of believers. What we have is a legacy that's been passed down for over 2,000 years. Why am I saying all this? Because we don't get the privilege of making up what it looks like to obediently respond to Jesus. We are following in the footsteps of every believer who has walked before us going all the way back to the apostles. That's why in my lifetime I have known people, people that I care about deeply, who for whatever reason didn't want to live the Jesus way, but they wanted Jesus. And so they would make statements like this to justify their actions and their lifestyle. They'd make statements like this, um, me and Jesus got something worked out. But see, the problem is, if we're the church, we don't get to make up what walking with Jesus looks like. It's been handed down to us. And I get to walk in what others have already shown me, and I can trust what we've been given. Why? Because Jesus is the one that gave it to us. I've known people who say things like this. I'm good with Jesus. I'll go with Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. Hmm. We don't get to make this thing up, people. Our job is not to create what it means to walk with Jesus. We are being stewards of what has been entrusted and passed down to us. And the people that make these kind of statements, no matter their intentions or what their motivations are, I'm not even judging those things. What I'm saying is that people who do that, who say me and Jesus got something worked out or I want Jesus but not the church, they're creating their own path and not walking in obedient response to Jesus. That is not what faith looks like. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's writing to a young pastor named Timothy that he put in the church of Ephesus, and he's going to tell Timothy this. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Can I just point out, he said, continue in what you have learned, not what you created. Church, I'm going to give us a word today. We're to continue in what we have learned and not go out and try to create something new. We're just trying to steward what we've been given. He says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What is Paul doing? He's reminding Timothy that the faith that Timothy confesses was passed down to him, and he is commanded to continue in what has been passed down down do not go out and make this up timothy why we keep reading into chapter 4 verse 1 he says in the presence of god and of christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge preach the word he doesn't say get up there timothy and preach whatever you want to he says get up there and give them the word Do you want to know what it looks like to live by faith, church? It's by obedient response to the Word of God. You don't get to go by what you feel or what you want or what you wish. Faith is saying yes to what God says for us. I just am reminded of stories with pastor. And I remember there was a time, I know we work at a church, but I just want you to know we're all humans. Sometimes stuff happens. And I remember years ago, I was having a little bit of conflict with somebody, and Pastor was coming in to meet about it. And I wanted Pastor to come in. You know how you get. I just wanted him to come in just blast us. Just, just. And Pastor walked in, and this is what he said. He didn't even address the problem. What he did is he walked around and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the Word, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast. Why? Because we don't get to make this thing up. We're, we're obediently responding to what he says, not what we want. Pastor taught me so much. Paul goes on. He says, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. If we're going to continue the legacy of faith that this church was built on, it's going to be because we're not looking for anything new. We're coming back to what we've already been given. Paul is warning Timothy, there's going to come a time when people just do whatever they want to, but you stay firmed and established in what you've been given. So what does that mean for us as a church? It means that we learn what it means to live by faith, meaning how do we obediently respond to Jesus from those who have already walked this path before us? And where do we start? I'll tell you where we're going to start. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected, raised back to life. He showed up. And in Matthew's gospel, he's giving his parting instructions. I just imagine Jesus, come here, boys. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How do we live in obedient response to Jesus? How do we as a church live by faith? I submit to you it's right here that we acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Over the whole world he's the boss and because we believe in Jesus and because we've responded in faith and said yes Christ is Lord of my life we will do what he wants us to we'll go make disciples we'll baptize them and we will teach them everything that Jesus taught and as we do that we will live in the presence of Jesus why because Jesus said all authority has been given to me and because of that get out there and do something Church, can I tell you the reason that this church exists is because one man actually lived by faith and said, God said to go, so I'm going to go. And God said, come to Botkin's. And he showed up and went, there ain't much here but a cornfield. And God said, you don't know what that cornfield's capable of. God said, go. And pastor, he obediently responded to it. And so he came and he started preaching. And what happened? People started believing. And then what happened? They started getting baptized. And then what happened? They started being trained and taught in everything that Jesus commanded. And then what happened? They're living in community in the presence of Jesus. And then what happened? More people started getting saved. And we just repeat the process over and over again because that's what it looks like to live by faith. Too often, too often. We get too consumed with what we're doing and with what Jesus has promised us as individuals when Jesus' last command to his church was go make a bigger church. Church, if we're going to be the kind of people who are going to obediently respond, we need to walk in the same manner that our pastor modeled for us, where he heard the word of Jesus and just said yes. He just said yes. Now, in case you're wondering, no, I'm not telling you to leave this church and go plant a new one. But by all means, if Jesus tells you to leave this church and go plant a new one, do it. I'm not telling you to go do crusades over in Africa. But by all means, if Jesus shows up and says, go do crusades in Africa, do it. Why? Because this is the base foundation level of what it means to live by faith. The last thing he said, go in my authority and you make disciples. And you baptize them, babies. And you teach them everything I said. And you're doing it in my presence. Because I will be with you and I will never leave you. That's what this church is going to keep doing. Because this is the legacy of what we have as a house of, house of faith. Man, I'll tell you what. In every meeting I'd have with pastor, almost every single one that had to do with church, he was always wanting to know, what are we doing to reach people? Why? Because he believed Jesus he was obediently responding to it. So we know what we're supposed to do. This is base level, foundational stuff. What should we do as a church that lives by faith? We're going out in the authority of Jesus to preach the gospel, see people get saved, baptize them babies, and then teach them how to go out and do what Jesus told them to do. That's what we're doing. So we know what we're supposed to do. Now we need to find out how are we going to do it. In Luke's gospel, chapter 24, Luke gives us a little more insight into what Jesus does with the disciples. After he's been raised from the dead. Matthew, for some reason, just was like, this is what he said, Do go do it, people. Luke gave us a little more info. Starting in verse 46 of chapter 24, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now Luke wrote that gospel, and Luke also wrote Acts. And he jumps right back into the story in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Luke's just bringing us right back into this moment. He says, after his suffering, talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. with the Holy Spirit. And if we jump down to verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Jesus is sending us out on mission. What does it mean to live by faith? It means very simply that we respond obediently to the commission. This is what we're here for. This is what you are here for. This is what I am here for. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that we take his call and his command and we say, I will go. But we're not going alone. Jesus said, don't you dare go out there and start doing anything until the Holy Spirit's with you. Do you love that? He said, don't you dare. You stay right here, boys, until the Holy Spirit has come, empowered you, and given you what you need. Don't go out and move. You see, church, we don't make disciples on our own. We do them in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We don't baptize people on our own. We do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We don't teach everything Jesus commanded on our own. We do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus said he would never leave us, because the Holy Spirit would come and be with us forever. Living in obedient response to Jesus isn't about coming up with a new way to be the baptized community around the world learning to live the Jesus way. It's about learning to live faithfully what has already been lived before us. So we got this setup up. Let's see what happens when the church does it. In Acts chapter two, starting in verse 38, I know I'm moving quick. I'm just I feel it in my bones. In Acts chapter two, we're going to pick up in verse 38, but let me give you some context. Pentecost has happened. The Holy Spirit has come. Peter is going to preach his first message. And if you remember everything that Jesus said, you're going to notice that Peter's doing exactly what Jesus said to do. He's living by faith in obedient response to the command of the Savior. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, the the men, Peter's preached his message, and the men are cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do? And Peter's response, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You remember where Jesus said, you're going to go out and preach the forgiveness of sins in my name? That's what he's preaching Love it. He's not making it up, people. He's doing what he's been given. And he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What was the great commission? Oh yeah. In the authority of Jesus, go make disciples by preaching the gospel, baptize those disciples and then teach them everything that they're spoke, teach them everything Jesus commanded in the presence of Jesus as he's always with us. Well, hey, look at this. We've got step one and step two down. He's preached the gospel. People responded. They baptize them. Is that the end of the story? No, it's not because that wouldn't be faithful to what Jesus gave the church. Just go one more verse. These 3,000-plus new believers, the Bible says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Hey, that was step number three. Teach them everything I've commanded you. But look at what else they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first generation of the baptized community learning to live the Jesus way together is doing exactly what Jesus told them to do in the Great Commission. They were making disciples, they're baptizing them, these disciples are becoming devoted to the apostles' teaching, and now we see that they're devoted to the body of Christ. Pastor Kylan last week talked about how the body of Christ, we see it in three different ways in the scriptures. The first way is the very literal, real body of Jesus, that he was born a human, and that he lived this life, and he was the Christ, and so that's the first way we see it. The second way we see it is in communion. And I love this, that Pastor Kylan pointed this out. He said, there's a reason why we take physical elements at the communion because it reminds us that he was really here. He's not some made-up story. He really did live this life. And so we see communion referred to as the body of Christ, the body and the blood. And then the third way that we see the body of Christ represented in the scriptures is you and me. And it says that they were devoted to that fellowship. Fellowship. And in their fellowship with one another, being together because they're a body and it'd be really weird to disconnect your arm and chuck it somewhere else and just live without it. So they were devoted to one another. And it says in that devotion, they just absorbed the apostles' teachings as they're telling them everything that Jesus commanded. And then they would break bread together, meaning in their time, they would do these things called love feasts. You should have in your mind, how many of you were raised in the South? Anybody? In a good old Baptist church in the South? Not very many of it. Okay, we had fellowship dinners after every Sunday morning church service. one of the greatest things ever. I highly recommend it. That would be very similar to what their love feast would have been. They're all getting together and they're sharing food with one another. And they would oftentimes, uh, they would participate in communion together. Why? Because Jesus said, when you get together, do this in remembrance of me. Communion brings us back to square one of what it means to live in obedient response to Jesus. We look at the cross and we say, this is what our Savior did for us. And guess how we're supposed to now live? This is my way of life now. Why? Because I've obediently responded in faith to Jesus. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for him. The church was devoted to these things. You want to know why we're devoted to them? Because it's what we've been handed down. Because we're not making this stuff up. That's why we're a church that's absolutely going to preach the word of God. And we're not going to preach it so that tickling ears can find, you know, a happy thing for them to walk. We're going to say what God said because it's what has the power to change your life. And it has the power to change my life. We're not making it up as we go, people. We're just stewarding what's been handed to us. That's what our pastor did. And that's what we're going to do. Because the next generation needs to know. And they don't need something made up that's not going to survive. They need something that's built on a 2,000-year foundation that we know the gates of hell will not prevail against. You know, I just wonder. I just wonder what Jesus would do to a group of people that say yes. You know, one thing I really love about the great command, the great commission... Is that Jesus says you're going in my authority and in my presence. Can I just encourage you with something? Jesus never puts the burden of the result on our shoulders. Never. The burden for the result is on his. Our burden is to respond. That's it. Church, listen to me. The only thing that Jesus expects of us and requires of us is that we respond. This church, Mark 9, 23, all things are possible if you only believe. Pastor believed that. He believed that and he believed the Great Commission. And look what God did. The only difference between me and pastor will be if I say yes to Jesus or not. So we can all look and go, look what, look what God did through one man that just said yes. Last I heard, 8 million people made a decision for Christ through his ministry. 8 million. Yeah. It's incredible. And it happened because he just was willing to say yes. I wonder what would happen if the man or woman in this church who goes and works at a factory on an assembly line would say, Jesus, you've called me to go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them your teachings. I just wonder what God could do through one man or woman who says, my factory and my assembly line is my mission field. I wonder what God could do for a student Teenagers, I wonder what God could do through a student who's just willing to say yes in obedient response to Jesus and say I'm a follower of Christ and so I'm not going to make up my own way of doing this. I'm going to do what's been handed down to me and I'm going to treat my school like it's my mission field and I'm going to go there with the intention and purpose of leading people to Jesus and seeing them baptized and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. I wonder what Jesus would do with just one student who says yes. I wonder what Jesus could do through one business owner who says, this is my mission field. This is where God has put me and placed me. And so I will use my business as a way to lead my employers to faith in Jesus, to see them be baptized, my employees to be baptized, and then to see them taught and trained in the ways of Jesus and my business associates, because this is where God has put me. I wonder what Jesus could do through someone like that. And the beauty of it is I don't have to wonder very hard because I saw it in my own pastor. Pastor didn't believe he was anything special, but he believed Jesus was really special. When pastor hired me, he did not believe I was anything special. (laughs) But pastor knew. He knew that if he could get somebody that would just say yes. Why, because the burden of result is not on our shoulders. The burden we carry is to just say yes to Jesus. Church, I wonder what Jesus is waiting to do through us. What greater things are in store for this church because we have a people here who will obediently respond with a yes to what Jesus asks us to do. What is Jesus asking me to do? Go tell people about him, see him get baptized, And teach them how to follow Jesus so that they start doing the same thing you're doing. It's not hard. This is who we are. Mark 9, 23. If you can believe, mm, all things are possible to him who believes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul?" Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be recorded, rewarded mm, according to their own labor. For we are co workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. In Romans 10 14 and 15, Paul says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, you are the sent one. You are God's answer. You are God's answer to the sphere of influence that you're in. What would happen if we'd start to see ourselves that way? The neighborhood I live in, I'm not there by accident. God put me here to sow and to water so that he can bring a harvest. God, use me. God, use me. I want you to capture the heart of what it means to live by faith today because Jesus prayed for this. Jesus looks out and he sees people that are hurting and he's broken. And the Bible says that he had compassion on them because they were helpless and they didn't have a shepherd to lead them. And he looks at the disciples and he says, you pray because the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers who are few. So you pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send workers out into the field. You are the answer to Jesus' prayer when you walk in obedient response to the great commission. All you have to say is, Yes, Jesus. I will go. I don't care if I look like an idiot. Sometimes I am an idiot. It's fine. But if I can be an idiot for the glory of Jesus, then I'll do so. Paul says that. He says, we're fools, but we're fools for Christ. There's a boldness that we have when we know we're going in the authority of Christ and in the presence of Christ to do what Christ has called us to do, knowing my responsibility is not the result My responsibility is to respond. Church, how is Jesus calling you to fulfill the Great Commission? Where are you at right now? Where Jesus is saying, This is the harvest field, and it's plentiful, and it's ready, but who will go? Who will go and just draw people to Christ? This house was built on faith by a man who believed that all things were possible to one who just believed. And then he read where Jesus said, go, and he said, okay. That's the legacy that's been handed down to us, that we are a church of people who say yes and we go. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you? Look at the pew right next to you, is there an empty seat? there's an empty seat right next to you, guess what? We got some work to do. We got work to do. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, but Jesus told us to go and what's been handed down to us. Do you realize the reason that we exist as a church today is because for 2,000 years, generations of Christians have fulfilled the Great Commission? Do you realize that 2,000 years from now, if Jesus doesn't come back before then, the church will still exist because the generations that follow after us will continue to just obediently respond to the Great Commission. If we lose sight of the Great Commission, the church will die. So we can't lose sight of it. It's who we are. It's the very DNA of this church. Today, we're going to finish service with communion. Why? Why? because it's been handed down to us, and it's been given to us to remember, because if Jesus Christ can walk in obedience to his Father, even though it cost him his life, then certainly we can walk in obedience to Jesus, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want, would you guys just stand up with me? Just stand up with me. The church is the baptized community around the world learning to live the Jesus way together. And we don't make up how to do this. We just take what's been handed down to us and we steward it and we pass it on to the next generation. In the scriptures, Jesus said, this is the new covenant. This is my body that's given for you. My body that was broken for you, that, I, that Jesus allowed himself to be broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus allowed his blood to be spilled, so that we could find forgiveness, and new life in him, and through him. In taking of communion, we are a witness to the world that Jesus has come, that he has died, that he was buried, but that he rose again. Church, let me tell you what our hope is. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those same disciples that we read about in Acts 2 who were preaching in 3,000 came to the church that day. Those same disciples all fled in fear for their lives before they saw the resurrection of Jesus. But because of the resurrection, something changed. Changed. Church, the reason we're still gathering today is because we actually follow a risen Savior. He's not dead anymore. He is alive in the promise for each and every one of us. And the reason that we can be so bold in going out and fulfilling the Great Commission is because we know no matter what, we will be with Jesus. That even if in our journey of faith, of following Jesus and responding to the call, whether it takes us to the factory assembly line or the fields of Pakistan, it doesn't matter because no matter what happens, resurrection is our story and it is our promise. And so do not fear. Listen to me, do not fear. Wherever Jesus is calling you, however he's commanding you to live out the great commission, do not fear because resurrection is your heritage. I'm telling you it's time for us to be bold in our faith and to not worry about what the world's doing. I don't care. I know what Jesus is doing in the world and greater is he that is living in me than he that is in the world. So bring it on. The gates of hell will not prevail against us. It's time we start living like it. And quit living in fear, but living in the boldness of the authority of Jesus who goes before us. And some of us will give our lives. Listen to me, some of us will give our lives. There are martyrs all around the world today. And you know why they can do it? It's because they believe in a resurrection. And so they're bold. What can man do to me? No, I fear the Lord. And even if they kill me, Jesus will raise me back to life again. There's nothing for us to fear, church. We should be so bold, so bold in the work that Jesus has called us to do as his body, to be his hands and his feet, to go out and carry his love to a lost world. But what if they hate us and persecute us? Good. Jesus said, rejoice. Shout for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. Our goal should be to live in such a way and love so radically that we are being persecuted. Hear what I said. Our goal should be to love so radically that we're persecuted, that people don't want anything to do with us because they just don't get it. It freaks them out. When our enemies are trying to crush us, we're just trying to bless them and we're washing their feet and they can't handle it and they don't know what's going on. We got to get rid of these freaks. Yeah, you can't though because the love of Christ compels us to keep moving forward. That's who we are. That's who we're always going to be. And so when we come to communion today, we are taking communion together and we are professing through communion that Jesus Christ has come, that he has died, that he has risen and he is Lord over all creation. We're professing that he is coming back one day. And you know what he's looking for when he comes back? Faith. He said, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? When he comes back, will he find people We're just responding in obedience to his command. That's what he's looking for. Church, I'm telling you, this this will be one place where Jesus finds it. This will be one place where he finds it. Amen? So as we partake of communion today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. As we partake of communion, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have your heart saying yes to the Great Commission. It doesn't mean you're going to be a missionary to Timbuktu. It means you're going to be a missionary where Jesus leads you. And if that's to a neighborhood, if that's to a workplace, if that's wherever that, you're going to be a missionary where Jesus sent you. But you're going on mission. We're living life intentionally for our Savior and for our King. Wherever we go, knowing that Jesus will do a work if we'll say yes. Amen? If you guys would at this time, come and grab your communion. When you get back to your seats, I'll pray over it.